Uh, well, good morning. Yes, I'm Nathan Nelson. I'm the mission and outreach specialist here at Bethany, um, which means that basically I'm involved in the work that we uh, do in partnership with outside organizations, both locally and globally. Um, I'm on staff at Green Lake, but I'm also involved with all the different things happening missionally at each of the locations of Bethany. Um, and so you guys uh, heard mention of the concert that Bethany Ballard had here at the Homestead to benefit World Relief Seattle. Um, I was here at that concert. That was awesome. Great example of the ways you all are using your gifts to live uniquely into that partnership. Um, so that's a little bit about what I do uh, here, and I uh, am sure that many of you, if you've been around Bethany at all for very long, if you especially were at Green Lake before uh, coming here to Bethany Ballard when it started, uh, you might be thinking to yourself, I've never seen this guy preach before. Um, I, maybe I've never even seen this guy before. And all of those questions are valid. You're correct in your thinking. This is my first sermon here at Bethany. Um, actually, it's my second, I should say, um, because uh, Richard called in sick this morning from Green Lake. And so I went and I, I preached at the 8 a.m. And now here I am just in the nick of time to be all, with all of you. So I'm excited to be here. Um, it's going to be good, I hope. Time will tell. Um, so as you may know, currently uh, we're in this series entitled Sustainable Faith, uh, in which each week we're looking at two different spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that both inform each other and then also uh, have kind of their unique role in the context of our larger spiritual lives. So today we're going to be looking at fasting and at service. Um, and so if you would, bow your heads, pray with me, and we'll get into this. Lord, we are grateful for the good gifts that you give us. We're thankful, God, that you desire for us to be a part of your work in the world um, and in an upside-down kind of way, um, we get to be a part uh, in our own brokenness of your justice coming on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray, God, now that you would be with us in our midst as we seek to hear your voice and ourselves be transformed um, such that we can be a part of the work that you're doing. We ask, Lord, that you would equip us with tools um, that we need um, towards that end. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So in preparation for this, uh, some uh, of the staff was asking, you know, Nathan, it's your first sermon there at, uh, you know, Bethany Ballard. Are you nervous about that? And I said, well, sure, of course I'm nervous about that. Um, but I got to thinking, uh, the last sermon that I gave was in Rwanda. I was visiting our global partner, World Relief, there. And so I was uh, talking to a group of about 80 uh, Rwandan pastors and NGO workers. And so I can say with confidence, I think that in this crowd, my stories should at least be relatable, and hopefully I won't accidentally offend anyone. Um, and if I do that, I apologize in advance. Um, before I was on staff uh, here at Bethany, I was involved, uh, yes, at World Relief, and then before that in a variety of different ministries in Latin America. And so anytime I was asked to give a sermon or a speak in any kind of venue, um, I was uh, being translated for. And so if you find me pausing at every few sentences, just know, pausing for translation, and I'll, I'll try to get in the rhythm at some point. Um, but Brad initially asked me to come and do this a few weeks back, and I asked him, uh, you know, great, I can do that. What, what's the topic? And he said, well, fasting and service. And I said, oh, great, that makes sense. You know, service, I'm the mission and outreach specialist. I should have something to say about that, right? But then there was this fasting component. And so then I got to asking Brad a little bit more about it, and, you know, he's here today. And so I got a little bit suspicious, like, does he just not want to have to fast in preparation for this, or what's going on? And then uh, Richard calls in sick this morning at Green Lake and asked me to come and uh, pray, uh, preach about fasting. And so I'm, I'm fairly convinced there's a conspiracy happening in which all the pastors of Bethany don't want to fast. 
Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a real possibility. Um, but I will say, uh, in coming into this, certainly service of these two disciplines is something that I was much more familiar with and much uh, more confident in my ability to speak towards. Um, I think that's probably true for many of us. Um, we have more familiarity with this concept of service, but fasting is for us, perhaps, um, at least for many of us, sort of this forgotten or um, sort of foreign discipline. Maybe we engaged in the 30-hour famine or something like that in youth group back in the day, um, but it's been a while. Um, so I thought what we could do this morning, uh, you're all you know, bright-eyed, awake with me, right? We got an extra hour of sleep last night. Uh, if you could, just do a little audience participation with me. Um, and so we're going to just have a moment of vulnerability where, if you would, raise your hands in response to this question. How many of you have fasted in the last five years not in preparation for this sermon? Raise your hands. There's some fasters in the room. This is good. You are the minority, if you took a look around. The majority of us, myself included, did not raise their hands, right? So I know I probably totally threw my credibility out the window at this point uh, with regards to fasting. But the reality is fasting is for us in many ways sort of a forgotten discipline. And so my hope in sharing with you this morning about it is that we can recover, in a way, um, this art or this discipline of fasting and understand what is the context of fasting within the rest of our spiritual lives. Um, and so that's one component. And then secondarily, I, as I've been studying and, and reflecting on fasting, and as I myself have fasted in preparation for this, um, I've been reminded of the way that fasting uh, is in fact connected to, very intentionally, um, this notion of service. And so today we're going to hopefully get to see a bit about that, um, that connection. So you've gotten your bulletins there in outline, um, and what I intend to do in the first bit is talk to us a bit about the um, reality of the human condition that I think creates for us the context for the important role of fasting. Um, and I've titled this section, We Are All Hungry for Something. And then second, we'll look at why fast, um, with special attention to why fast from food. Uh, and then finally, we'll conclude with some practical application regarding how we fast in a section that I titled Small Bites. But I have to admit that that, in fact, is from Brad so you can give him credit for that. Um, but let's begin with this notion that we're all hungry for something. And intuitively, we know this to be true, right? We all have an appetite for food, for drink, um, but we contain other appetites as well, right? Um, for example, we have an appetite for relationships, a hunger for community and intimacy, um, entertainment, for meaningful work. We all desire to contribute purposefully in some way. Right? And so the question that I'd like for us to consider then is what is the source of these varying appetites that we have? Where do we get them from? And so we know from scripture that God has given each of us gifts, and I'm going to suggest to us this morning that these gifts of God, these good gifts of God, are intended to produce in us appetites, and that these appetites that we have have a purpose behind them. Okay? So in Genesis 1.28, uh, we see that humanity is given the gift of work to steward God's creation. Uh, and we also are given the gift of intimacy to be fruitful and to multiply. And then in Genesis 2.19, humanity is given the gift of creativity to participate with God in naming the animals of creation. Uh, and then in Paul's first letter to, uh, to the church in Corinth, this is 1 Corinthians 12, um, 4 through 11, uh, we are described the varying gifts distributed by God to the people of God. So this includes things like wisdom and faith, healing, miraculous power, prophecy, 
discernment, tongues, all of these are examples of the gifts that God has given to us as the people of God. Um, And then in verse seven, we read something that I think is particularly important as we consider to what end are these gifts given. It reads in verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit or these gifts for the common good. So these gifts are given for a purpose and that purpose is for the common good of creation. Um, Are we tracking with me here? So we have gifts. Gifts produce in us appetites, and appetites are intended to be lived out for the good of creation, okay, for the common good. And so an example of that is we're given the gift of intimacy, right? Um, And that intimacy creates in us an appetite for sex, right? And that is intended to be lived out in the context of marriage, where we're able to um, have flourishing relationship and and procreate, right? These are good things. Um, Another example would be work. So uh, we're given the gift of stewardship that creates in us an appetite for work, and our work is intended to be used for the common good of other people, ourselves included, right? Um, So in Matthew 5, 6, we read this, uh, this verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So from the outset, I want to acknowledge that we're called to an appetite for righteousness or for justice, okay? We're called to hunger for, this, for these things, to use our gifts to participate in God's justice work in the world. Um, so given this premise, we can all acknowledge that there's a problem, right? While this sounds good and well, there's a problem for us. And that problem is that when our good gifts, our good appetites become distorted by sin and by brokenness. We all know this to be true, Right? So, for example, in Genesis 3, we see that humanity's appetite was literally manipulated by the serpent, and Adam and Eve begin to indulge their own desire for wisdom and power and control by consuming the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And so here we see that while God had given good gifts to humanity for creation, Adam and Eve turned to the wrong source of those gifts, of those appetites, right? They turned within themselves and their own self-interest. In 1 John 2.16, we read that for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And we all have these appetites, don't we? If we look through this list, the pride of life, lust of the flesh, we all have these appetites, right? As participants in the broken system of creation, we too recognize that we're broken, Right? And so as our appetites become distorted within this broken system, and when our hunger and thirst for righteousness turns to a hunger or thirst uh, for our own self-interest, we then become slaves to our own appetites, slaves to our distorted appetites. So for example, our hunger for relationships and intimacy turns to lust and porn addiction and self-serving sex. Our hunger for meaningful work turns to workaholism and endless endeavors for upward mobility. Uh, Our appetite for creativity becomes a slave to these others and uh, is distorted for the purpose of increasing wealth, right? And for just serving ourselves. Uh, We all know this to be true. Um, We all, uh, perhaps, I was preaching at Green Lake today and looking out and seeing all these different college students and recognizing when I was in my undergrad, man, did I gain a hunger for this justice and this righteousness in the world. That's what led me to do what I'm doing today. But I have to be careful that that does not quickly turn now however many years since then, into working 80 hours a week, 
right? Um, going full-time to seminary and full-time uh, working here at Bethany and traveling all over the place. I have to be really careful to recognize what this really is about and not to let this hunger that I gained become distorted. Can anyone else relate to that within the context of your work, right? We have to be mindful of that. We so easily can be distorted. And so what I want to suggest is that we're all in service to our appetites of varying kinds. So the question for us this morning is, what or who is the source of your hunger? Said differently, who then or what are you serving? Okay? Tracking with me? So with this premise in mind, I'd like for us to turn our attention to this practice of fasting. And I think this quote from Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline, is helpful for understanding the connection that fasting has to these distorted appetites in our lives. He says this, Fasting helps us keep our balance in life. How easily we begin to allow non-essentials to take precedence in our lives. How quickly we crave things we do not need until we are enslaved by them. Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Our human cravings and desires are like rivers that tend to overflow their banks. Fasting helps keep them in their proper channels. So I want to give you uh, just a story that's an example of how I've lost this balance in the past in my life. I joked about being the letter, the number 10 next to Brad. Um, It's no secret, I'm a slender guy. Always have been. I don't have the story of being like, the kind of chubby kid in elementary school that just like grew into himself and then was like, you know, stretched out. I've just always been this way. And while uh, many people say, that's great, like what's the big deal? Uh, Of course, the grass is always greener. So I can tell you in my middle school, high school years, I've always been an athlete. I've always been uh, really involved in sports, particularly basketball. Uh, And when you get to high school and you are by far the skinniest guy on the team, and not to mention I have this long floppy hairdo, I became known as Floppy. Uh, and other really fun names, like uh, Skeleton Bones, and like all the you know, big guys on the team were joking about how bony my elbows are and that sort of thing. Uh, and so I, just be- I gained this self-consciousness around my body type, right? We all have that to some degree, whatever we look like. Uh, and so um, for me, one of the things I got into college and I started you know, lifting weights and things like that, and it was good. I wanted to compete at a high level in basketball, and uh, I, just, you know, I wanted to be looking good and everything that I could, right? I wasn't married yet at that point, so I was thinking, you know, I got to get that under wraps. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and so I get in this rhythm of working out, and this is something that we all do. It's, it's important, right? These are all healthy desires that I had. Um, But so quickly, even those genuine healthy desires can become messed up for us. Um, And you start noticing, like, if I'm not getting in the gym at least three, four days a week with a protein shake within 30 minutes of my workout, like, those muscles are going to disintegrate before my very eyes. And why am I even doing this in the first place if I can't do all these things? Life gets busy. Why? Forget the gym. I have to pay, like, $1,000 in Seattle to go there. Um, Right? And so for me, this is just one little, fairly silly example, but genuine, of the way that good appetites in my life, to be healthy, to be fit, could quickly become distorted to where I'm standing in front of the mirror and I'm looking at myself and I'm thinking, man, I'm plus or minus a fraction of a centimeter bigger or smaller than I was before. That's not the intention, right? This is, a, this is, a, this is an example of the distortion of our appetites. Uh, and so now... 
I brought up body image. I want to make what I think is an important distinction here uh, regarding body image and addictions and mental and physical health. Uh, These are all super important factors that play complex roles in our lives. And so as I uh, get into a bit about uh, fasting here, I want to be very intentional in recognizing that fasting is not for all of us the right solution to a problem, to an addiction or something like that. Rather, what I am suggesting is that fasting has a role to play for us in that. Okay, so this is the disclaimer, like, visit your doctor kind of a thing. Like, let's not all go and fast to try to break addictions that may not be healthy for us at that time, okay? So that's the disclaimer. Consult your doctor. Now, that being said, what I am suggesting is that fasting specifically from food is for us a spiritual discipline that's been long practiced by Christ followers, right? We have evidence to show that people have been fasting for over 2,000 years from food specifically. And what it does is it acknowledges the power of Christ to break strongholds, or said differently, addictions, in our lives. And what it does is it helps us recognize that there's a strength other than our own to help us break a stronghold that we are otherwise incapable of doing ourselves. Okay? Um, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, we read, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I am content with my weakness, for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. So as we consciously forego food and literally weaken our bodies by fasting, we experience this posture of humility before the Lord and that we recognize our dependence upon the power of God and the strength of God to break those strongholds in our lives. Uh, And and importantly, uh, what we're doing is we're recognizing that this sort of conscious or subconscious rhythm that we get into, uh, where we're looking to the answers, we're looking to the solutions within ourselves to solve whatever thing may be going on, whether it's an addiction, an area of discernment in our lives, rather than looking within ourselves, fasting aids us in realigning our gaze towards Christ. And as we align our gaze towards Christ, and we become dependent upon him, or we're reminded of our dependence upon him, I believe then that our appetites become realigned with God as the source of those appetites, all right? Turn with me now to Isaiah 58. We heard it read for us earlier, but we're gonna revisit this text this morning. Um, And this is where we see an example of Israel having confused its fast, even its fast, with these self-indulgent purposes that I've been alluding to. So rather than the purposes that God has given them for the fast, even the fast has become self-indulgent. So this is from Isaiah 58, um, starting in verse 3. It says, Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. So here, Israel's fast has become purely religious ritual, right? To the point that they're even oppressing workers and causing fights among the people. This is not the goal for fasting at Bethany, right? Like the goal is not that this week you're all going to go and you're going to fast and then come back and then Brad is going to have to address the congregation and say, you were all so hungry that you were fighting with each other right? Like that is not the idea here. Um, So let's look instead, picking up in verse 6, where God instructs Israel on behalf of Isaiah uh, with regard to the intention for the fast. So in verse 6, he says, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, 
to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own kin. So here, what I think God is doing is demonstrating to Israel that same hunger that I was talking about in Matthew 5 and 6, that hunger for righteousness, for the justice of God. Um, And this hunger, or the appetite, that I believe God desires to produce in us through our fast uh, is... Is, 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 is for us sort of the crux of the issue. That ironically, fasting is not about simply denying our distorted appetites, but fasting is in fact intended to create within us an appetite for God, an appetite for God's justice and his righteousness both in our lives and in the world. So, Again, fasting is not simply about denying these distorted appetites, these appetites that give way to things like lust and workaholism or endless pursuits for upward mobility, but fasting is about producing in us a hunger for the righteousness of Christ. And as a result, we become people that serve the appetites produced in us by the gifts of God, and we realize our capacity to then be the presence of Christ to live out God's justice in the world. I'll say that again, that uh, as a result of fasting, we become people that serve not the appetites produced in us by the, uh, the, the distorted appetites produced in our lives, but we become servants to the appetites that God gives us. So in Galatians 5.13, we read this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. So here we see that fasting is a tool that is intended to free us from being slaves to our distorted appetites and serving those appetites that come as a result of God's good gifts to us as his children. So let's move now to that last point in your outline, small bites. Uh, I think it's important to acknowledge at some level that In this series, Sustainable Faith, that we've been a part of, we've been doing this for weeks now. We're going to continue to do this. There are a number of spiritual disciplines that we've been looking at. Some maybe that are foreign to you or seem kind of new, and others that are maybe familiar. Um, And so it can be easy to sort of pick and choose those things that work well for us. And that's at some level okay. Um, But pastorally as a team, we just kind of had this uh, feeling... uh, in staff meeting this last week that we run the risk in the course of this series of just sort of weighing people's bags down with spiritual disciplines, especially with something like fasting that is in many ways foreign to some of us. And as a staff, we ourselves, like I recognized from the beginning, struggle to do. We're not incorporating this entirely in our own lives, right? And so we're in this together. So I think it's important for us to recognize that this is not about trying to practice all of these disciplines simultaneous to one another. That would be crazy. You'd be on this ridiculous spiritual high like you'd be floating or something like that, right? But rather, each of these spiritual disciplines has a role to play in the context of our holistic spiritual lives. And so I was trying to think of an analogy to use with this, and I don't know why this came to mind. I don't golf. I know nothing about golfing. But for some reason, a golfing analogy came to mind. And Brad, this is for you. You like to golf. 
Um, so if you think about uh, your golf bag and you've got your different clubs for different purposes, right? If you were to go without any one of some of those maybe more core central clubs, you'd be in trouble. Like if you show up to the green and you've got no putter, like you're just equipped with your driver, good luck. Right? They're going to be batting this thing all over the place. And so this is the idea I want to share with you around fasting, is that fasting is for us a tool within the larger quiver, so to speak, of our spiritual lives, of our spiritual discipline, that we're in, we are to use to employ in specific instances um, that allow us to realign our gaze upon Christ, where he is the one to whom we are able to be dependent, right? where we look to for wisdom and for strength, and that in moments of discernment and moments of uh, addiction, fasting can for us break, help to break those strongholds, all right? So that being said, um, what I would like to do is uh, talk about a couple of different areas practically that I think fasting can aid us in. The first is this. The question is simple. Is there an area of your life where you're experiencing a stronghold of any kind? It could be an addiction, Right? Uh, one thing you can do uh, is fast from that specific thing. Again, consult your doctor. Um, but uh, whether it's fasting from that specific thing or you can fast from food and in the process, ask that God transform your distorted appetite or your distorted hunger in whatever area that may be and that God would give you an appetite for the good gifts that he's given you. Second, you can ask yourself this question, is there an area of your life where you're seeking discernment? If so, you can fast from food and intentionally pray during that time for that specific decision or that area of uncertainty. And again, this is not about necessarily getting a clear answer, though that could happen. Um, uh, This is not a guarantee, right? Uh, And so uh, rather what we do when we fast is we look to Christ and posture ourselves before him, reminding ourselves of our state of dependence upon, his, upon him for his wisdom and his strength in our lives. So um, I told you uh, earlier, I confessed to you, I guess I should say, uh, that fasting has not always been uh, a, uh, something that I've incorporated. There was a time in my life years and years ago where I was fasting quite a lot, um, but not recently. And so in preparation for this sermon, of course I challenged myself to fast. Uh, And so one of the the things that I did, I sort of self-selected option two here around this space of discernment, uh, is is to fast with regards to uh, uh, something that my wife is going through on a daily basis. Um, This is my wife, Macy, here. And uh, she is a middle school math teacher um, in Seattle Public Schools. She teaches down in the Central District of Seattle. Uh, and we have totally fallen in love with that part of the city. It's an amazing, amazing part of the city. Um, but the reality is, in that space, man, there are some profound challenges that face folks on a daily basis. And the students in Macy's school and the families that those kids come from face profound challenges. We're doing church school partnerships uh, here at Bethany in all different uh, parts of the city with different schools. I know you're doing that here at Bethany Ballard as well. Um, There are schools in our city that have unique challenges. That is without question. And this is one of those schools. It's arguably one of the most uh, racially segregated schools in the city. And so as a result of that, my wife, as you can imagine, uh, becomes weighted down over time. Um, with the burden that these kids, that these kids and families face, oh, I got emotional the first time I did this, and here it comes again. Um, and so uh, my wife, she would come home every day, and she would say, 
I don't know, like, what is it that uh, I can do differently to, to help out in these, kids, in these kids' lives, to get these concepts through to them? Like, math is the last thing that they have to worry about, but it's an important thing nonetheless. Uh, and so there's a math coach at Macy School, uh, and the math coach is intended to be a resource to teachers, and so Macy asked if this math coach could come and observe her classroom um, for a day, and so she did, and uh, this gal comes in, and, and she's going throughout the day, and at the end of the day, she comes to Macy, and she says, well, I don't know if this is good or bad news, but what I can tell you is you are literally doing everything humanly possible uh, to, to create the best environment for these kids. And so Macy was, dis- was encouraged, right? Like, uh, this is good. You know, I, I'm doing the best that I can, but she was also discouraged and thinking, well, then great. What's, how can I be expected to change anything? What can I do to possibly change these things? And so Macy's coming home and she's telling me about this and I'm preparing for this sermon on fasting, which is apparently something about uh, relying on God to be the source um, that we need in times of challenge and times of difficulty. And so uh, what I thought is I, I can fast. Uh, that's one thing I can do. And so what I did practically, just to give you an idea, is I uh, withheld from breakfast and lunch one day, and when I was really experiencing those hunger pains um, and some different sort of intentional times throughout the day, uh, I just held before the Lord the complexity of these issues that I've been referring to for kids, for their families, my own wife's sanity in the midst of all of this, the complexity happening within those schools, holding those things before the Lord and saying a simple prayer over and over and over again. And that was, God, we need you. We need your strength. We need your presence. God, help us. Okay? And now I know uh, you're probably sitting there like, you know, pastors, they usually get us on the edge of our seat, right? Like, what happened? Uh, Nothing. At all. Uh, if this was not conclusive and that it did not produce a result in a, or, a, or a solution to the problem in any way. What it did do is it redirected my gaze to God. And I can tell you uh, that, you know, Macy would come home every night and we're, we're always talking, right? You do this with your spouses or your significant others or your close friends. You're debriefing the day and what's going on. Uh, and man, we... I, I would do everything. I'm like, I'm trying to be a support. I'm trying to, you know, give advice. And I don't know anything about math, let alone school and teaching. And so what I'm, what I'm reminded of in this time of fasting is that it's God alone that is the source of our strength and our wisdom that we need in the midst of extraordinarily challenging circumstances. My gaze was realigned to Christ, and that's something that I can uh, come alongside her in. So now we pray. We, we, we take time and we pray for these issues, recognizing that perhaps there's no easy solution. Now, that being said, in the process of fasting, something that happened for me is I, was, I really began to gain this hunger or this appetite for justice in this situation. Like, I was hungry for justice before, but now I'm really hungry for justice because I spent all day thinking about this ridiculous school system that we're all a part of, if you're a part of the public school system. And so for me, I gained this desire for justice to be had in the context of this school, for these kids and their families, and for the teachers that work in the midst of it. So fasting for me, yes, um, did align my gaze towards Christ, my dependence upon him, and it produced in me this sort of newfound hunger or appetite for justice. So how does all this connect to service? Um, We've talked about, and I've alluded to here, uh, that Christ calls us to hunger for righteousness, to hunger for justice. We see that in Matthew 5, 6. So in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, we read this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
So as we fast and we experience this transformation of our appetites, I believe that we'll see that we are ourselves called to use our God-given gifts, our God-given appetites to serve in the ways that Christ has uniquely blessed you and us as a community to do so. So in the video we watched, this is part of the work that I'm involved in here at Bethany, you saw testimony of people that had been through this process of transformation. Uh, They had taken steps away from some things in their lives, made space for their gifts to then be used in unexpected ways to serve others. So I believe as we undergo this process that we will then become people of justice and servants not to our own self-interested appetites, but rather servants to the God-given appetites that he has in us. And as servants, we will utilize our gifts for the good of others. Um, Quickly, I want to share with you one last story as we prepare to close, and that is around this uh, gentleman named Jared, uh, who uh, has been a friend of mine and someone I've gotten to know over the course of my time here at Bethany. Uh, He went on that bike ride that Brad was talking about. He was a part of this Good Neighbor Team video, uh, which made it feel, it was, uh, felt appropriate to share his story in, in, in the context of today. Uh, he also went with us on a, a trip to Rwanda to visit our global partners World Relief a couple of years ago and then went back with me again this year. So Jared has, has deep dove in, but I can tell you before all of this, before he went on that first trip to Rwanda, um, he was involved in the tech industry, kind of data analysis work. Um, he loved it. He felt like he was using his gifts in that space. But he shared with me before that first trip to Rwanda that he had this desire to be a part of cross-cultural relationships. Um, he'd heard that that work in Rwanda is about reconciliation, and he thought, man, that, there's something about that that really draws me in. Um, and so we went, and then in the course of those pre-trip meetings, we're talking about, you know, how can you use your gifts uniquely on this trip? And uh, what, what we found out is that Jared is a super, super skilled photographer. And so what Jared ended up doing is taking photos that now are living on our website. Just about every photo that we have on our mission page is from Jared. Um, but what happened in the course of that trip was he just, this hunger inside of him that was really just a small thing just exploded. And uh, when he got back, you know, it was like every day on Instagram and Facebook, he was posting a picture, retelling somebody's story. Uh, and quickly, as he and I began to debrief the experience together, he recognized the work that he was involved in day-to-day in the, in the tech kind of data analysis industry um, wasn't going to feed that hunger. And he, he'd just been awoken to something that, that, that wasn't going to be met in that space. And so he ended up uh, leaving that job, which, as you can imagine, paid pretty well. Uh, and he ended up going and working as an uh, unpaid intern at World Relief Seattle, uh, where he's been for the last year. And he uses his gift of photography to tell the stories of refugees, similar to the video that you saw there. Um, and so while Jared is sort of the poster child of mission, you might say, at Bethany, I do want to share, if you're interested in going on a trip, of one of these kinds, uh, don't worry that your life is going to somehow have to be totally uprooted. That's not the aim of all of these trips. Um, But that did happen for Jared. Um, And I share this Jared's story with you to say that this is an example of somebody who recognized, discovered within themselves uh, both giftings that God had given him, but then uh, a hunger for something where he was able to use his giftings in that area, okay, for God's justice in the world. So um, we're going to prepare for a time of response in just a minute. And in that space, I'd like for us to consider two questions. Uh, The first is this. Is there an area of your life where you are experiencing strongholds or addiction of some kind or are seeking discernment? If so, what is one 
uh, area you can intentionally withhold from for a short time, bringing that stronghold or addiction uh, before the Lord or that area of discernment uh, and asking that God speak to you in that space. Um, something you can do is skip a meal, skip lunch, pray during that time, asking God to, dis- to transform your distorted appetite and remind you of his wisdom and his strength in that space. And then secondly, where do you experience a hunger for God's righteousness and justice in the world? We all have these hungers, right? You can't turn on the news and not experience at some level a hunger for something other than all the craziness that we're seeing. So where are you already seeing evidence of this hunger within you for righteousness and for justice? And what is one step that you can take to feed that appetite using your gifts in the coming season? And you'll look in your bulletin there at the bottom, there's uh, fill in the blanks. As we enter a space of worship together, we invite you to consider how can you fill those blanks in for yourself um, this morning. If you would, pray with me now. Lord, we're grateful for your presence among us. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have in the safety of these walls to be present with you, to be present with one another. God, we thank you for the way in which you've called us, equipped us um, to be people of justice in the world. And yet we recognize that in the midst of that, we ourselves face a distortion of the people that you created us to be. Lord, would you give us the tools that we need for those appetites, for things other than your good purposes in the world to be transformed. And as we experience your transformation, Lord, we trust that you will equip us to be people of hope and justice in the world, using our gifts towards the end that you've given them to us to do. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.